Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's my privilege to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It's Wednesday, June 22nd. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, taking on tough issues. Last week, we talked about the nature of God's wisdom and how it compares to the wisdom of the world. And we were reminded that true wisdom comes from God and that he works through us to accomplish his will on this earth. So we can only boast in the Lord, not ourselves. Today is part three, again, in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about the idea of one foundation. And we'll talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And here we're going to talk about, in this set of scripture, the need to build the church on the one secure foundation of Jesus Christ. Got a lot to unpack with you, and I'll get to that all in a moment. But right now, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be able to study with our friends today. Lord, we just want to hear from you. We want to dig into this word and then apply it to our lives. Show us how we can do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Very often, we don't even think about the stability of our homes or other buildings until an earthquake or a storm hits. Then we start hoping the architect and the builder laid a strong foundation with safety in mind. Well, here's a few opening questions to help us think about our unique experiences with building things. Here's the first question. Which of the following did you most enjoy building when you were a child and who helped you? Was it a fort? Maybe a snowman or an igloo? How about a tree house? Maybe a popsicle stick house? Or a soapbox derby racer? Or maybe there was something else that you enjoyed building when you were a child? And if you did, who helped you? There were two things that I really enjoyed building as a child. The first was a snowman during the winter season, no doubt. And my dad was the one who first helped me with that. And secondly was a fort. Now there's different kind of forts, but I loved building these things. Sometimes I built forts inside the house with blankets and towels and chairs and boxes and stuff like that. Other times it was outside, either at a neighbor's house who had these really big dirt mounds that we could play on and jump behind like we we're playing army. Or it was in the woods where we had created several places within the bushes that were fortified with brush and wood that we brought there, things like that. Question two, what have you been most involved in building as an adult? Would it be a house? How about debt? Maybe your reputation? Maybe a secure future? How about building a business? Or things for my kids or grandkids? What have you been most involved in building as an adult? For a portion of my life, I was most involved in building debt, not proud of that in any way. But God is amazing and through him we're almost out of it. Then for another portion of my life, I was most involved in building my reputation. But the Lord has shown me that I needed to stop that and focus on telling people about him. And he's blessed me with the ability and opportunity to do that now. And I don't care if anyone knows my name, or accomplishments. I just want people to know Jesus Christ because when they do, their reputation and future will be secure. Question three, on a scale of one to 10, one being don't huff and puff or it'll all fall down to 10, I could have my own tool show. 
how would you rate yourself as a builder of things? When I try to build things without Jesus Christ as the foundation, they either fail right away or shortly thereafter. And it's no wonder, because like Hebrews 3, 4 says, For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Or as Psalm 127, 1a says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. So in light of those scriptures and others, I'm not the builder. Jesus is. But if he wants to use me somehow in that process, then all glory and honor be to his name. All right, let's dive in further here. Each one of us who follows Jesus Christ has a role in his kingdom. As Paul writes, it's important for us to do our part and feel valued in it. But it's all in vain if our core values for what we do as a church are not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what his purpose is for us. So let's read 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 17. And while we do that, note the responsibility that we have in being God's sanctuary. So get those Bibles or Bible apps out. 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the walls of flame. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Amen. A lot of familiar scripture verses there in that passage. Here's our first study question. If Paul was your spiritual nutritionist at this point in your life, 
Which of the following diets would he be most likely to put you on? Would it be pure milk diet? In other words, I'm still in the infant stage of my faith. Or maybe milk with a little of that baby cereal diet. In other words, I'm beginning to grow a little. Or maybe Paul would put you on a steady diet of Happy Meals. In other words, I need positive input. Perhaps he would put you on a varied diet, including milk. I need something to chew on, in other words, but I can't forget the basics. Or perhaps he'd put you on a diet that is the phrase, where's the beef? Well, I'd like to think that I've moved from milk to solid food and remain on solid food. So my answer would be, I think Paul would continue me on a diet of solid food, beef, if you will. But it's still important to know and remember the basics of our faith. Never forget them, beloved. Number two, verses one, two, and three, they read, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Here's the question on those verses. Right off the bat, you see Paul states that the Corinthians needed to mature in their spiritual lives. What are the issues and what did the Corinthians need to do to overcome them? Instead of growing in the faith, the Corinthians had let themselves be diverted into quarrels and factions so that Paul could not even talk to them like mature Christians. He had to talk to them in his letters as though they belonged to the world or as though they were infants in the Christian life. Paul was not accusing these people of being carnal, or in other words, being worldly. He was saying that their behavior was sinful in comparison to that of mature believers. These believers in Corinth should have long since grown out of the infant stage and been maturing in their faith. So Paul had to continue to feed them. In other words, he had to continue to teach them the basics of the faith instead of being able to teach them deeper truths. You might want to check out Hebrews 5.12 and 1 Peter 2 verse 2 for more. Just as babies drink only milk because they can't eat solid food, so these baby Christians had to keep relearning the basics, the fundamentals of their faith. Their sinful desires indicated that their mindset was worldly, not characterized by the desires of the Spirit. Their jealousy and quarreling proved that. So instead of acting different from the world because of their salvation through Christ, they continued to act like people who didn't belong to the Lord. They were believers, but they were not spiritually mature. In other words, they were immature spiritually. By remaining immature and allowing that immaturity to divide them, they were wreaking havoc in the church. Number three, look at verses four and five. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. So considering those verses, here's the question. Loyalty to different preachers will cause division and factions in the church. 
How and why is this an issue for the Corinthians and us today? Well, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 12 and 13 a few weeks ago, there were divisions, factions, and quarrels in the church in Corinth because people were loyal to different preachers. Now, back in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul also mentioned Peter. Here, though, he focused on the two men who had actually preached and taught in Corinth, himself and Apollos. Now, the believers had split up, some being followers of Paul, others preferring Apollos. Paul was pointing out that to act this way was to act like those who are not Christians. Apollos and Paul were no more than servants of God who brought the message of salvation to the Corinthians. As mere servants of the Lord, they had pointed the people toward Christ and not themselves. It's the same for us today. We've got to be careful to recognize that though we might like one preacher's style more than another, we shouldn't be putting them up on pedestals and or pitting them against one another. And the preachers need to be aware of that and stand against it as well. As servants of the Most High God, we should always exhibit humility and continue to point people to Christ and not ourselves. Number four, verses six and seven. I planted the seeds in your hearts and Apollos watered it, and it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul goes on to further explain the roles he and Apollos had in ministry. But the people in the Corinthian church had the wrong perspective about it. What were they missing? Part of the reason for the factions may have been the different jobs Paul and Apollos had done in Corinth. Paul planted the seed of the gospel message in the believers' hearts. He was a missionary pioneer, the first to bring the message of salvation and the founder of the church in Corinth. Apollos had watered that seed, helping believers grow stronger in the faith. Unfortunately, some of the believers in Corinth didn't see it that way and divided themselves between Paul the planter and Apollos the waterer. Paul explained to these loyal believers that they had misplaced loyalties. Paul and Apollos had only done what God told them to do. In fact, compared to God's role in the process, they were unimportant for God is the one who makes the seed grow. Paul, Apollos, and Peter, and any missionary or minister of the gospel is nothing more than God's instrument. God alone helps the seed to fruition. So there is no room for pride on the part of these leaders, and there is no room for divisive loyalty toward these leaders on the part of the followers. It was true then, and it's still true today. Number five. Verses 8 and 9 read, The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Here's the question. What is the purpose of those planting and watering? And who does Paul say their ministry belongs to? While each servant has various functions, each one was a team member with the same purpose. And that purpose is this, to bring people into God's kingdom and see them mature in their faith. That said, each servant is still individually responsible for his or her work, and they will be rewarded individually according to their own hard work. 
Paul also said that he and other preachers and teachers of the true gospel message worked together as partners who belonged to God, and so should we. Their ministry belonged to God and not them. We have got to keep that at the forefront, folks. I know it's a thought that I work with every single day because it is not about me. It is simply about the Lord. Number six, verses 10 and 11. They say, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Christ Jesus. Here's the question. What was the foundation that Paul laid, and why is it important for it to be solid? We just sort of talked about that answer in the last question, but we're going to talk about it again here with verses 10 and 11. What was the foundation that Paul laid, and why was it important for it to be solid? God gave Paul the grace for this message, and like an expert builder, he was doing what God had called him to do. He laid the foundation, meaning that he took the message of Jesus Christ to the people. The foundation of the church of all believers is Jesus Christ. Whoever builds on that foundation must be very careful. All true believers have the gospel message as their foundation, and each one is building on that foundation. Now, this building probably refers to the church, to sound teaching, and to individual Christian character. Only the truth can build strong character in the believers, and so build a strong church. The foundation may be strong, but a variety of materials might be chosen in the building process, as Paul describes further in the text. Interestingly enough, Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount with the same picture used here. Check out Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Jesus compared two kinds of life, one constructed on the knowledge and application of his words, and the other constructed without regard for Christ. Both houses can be built but only one will stand up to the winds and storms of life. Amen to that. Number seven, verses 12 to 15 read, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Here's the question. What is Paul saying about the builder who survives? Because the foundation is Jesus Christ, anyone and everyone who builds on that foundation will be saved. But these believers will present to God the lives that they have lived for him. Some of them will present lives of gold, silver, and jewels, lives built on the truth of the gospel and spent in sacrifice and service to God. These builders will receive a reward. Some will present lives that amount to no more than wood, hay, and straw, and all that they did and accomplished will be burned up. These builders will be saved, but only as if they jumped out of a burning building and lost everything but their lives. They will enter heaven, but will not receive the same reward as those who built well. And now our last question for today. Verses 16 and 17, this is number eight. It says, 
Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Here's the question. What is Paul saying in these verses about the temple and what it is? God's people, all believers in Christ Jesus, are the temple of God. And not only that, the Spirit of God lives in them. While it's true that each individual is a temple of the Holy Spirit, chapter 6, verse 19, Paul was teaching here about the nature of the church or the nature of the Christian community. This is a common theme in the New Testament. You might want to check out 2 Corinthians 6, 16, Ephesians 2, 22, Hebrews 3, 6, and 1 Peter 2, 5. Now, Corinth boasted many pagan temples and shrines, but there was only one temple for God. The Corinthian Christians were it. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised would come and live in his followers. The Holy Spirit draws all believers together as Christ's body on earth. He provides the unity that should characterize them. But every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place for him. The believers ought not be divided into warring factions because that destroys the temple. Also, in the Old Testament, the penalty for defiling God's dwelling, whether the tabernacle or the temple, was death or separation from the nation. The penalty for bringing ruin upon God's spiritual temple, found in his people individually and in the church collectively, is no less severe. How might anyone attempt to destroy God's temple? False teachings that undermine a believer's faith, rivalry that creates dissension and rips churches apart, and weak discipleship that promotes easy believism are all problems that weaken the church. Back in verse 15, Paul wrote of the builder who, though he or she builds shoddily on the foundation, will still be saved. Here in verse 17, Paul focuses on those who, already unsaved, set out to destroy those who are saved, such as false teachers. God will destroy them because of their sin. Folks, that brings us to the end of our study today about one foundation. Let's recap what we've talked about. We've discussed how Christ is to be the foundation of the church. We were reminded that we must be careful how we build on our foundation of Jesus Christ because we are God's sanctuary. Next time, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 21, and we're going to look at some power games that were played in the Corinthian church at Paul's expense and how he dealt with such power games. So until then, please take care. I'll see you right back here next week, same time. Thanks for joining me today. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.